Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson and uh, a special guest today, Mr. Daniel Mondello from many different businesses, of which we'll also talk about. Hi, guys. Hello. What's going on? Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. It's been a little while. It's about damn time. What's well, been taking you so long to record this podcast, Matt? I've been <sighs> sitting in my office waiting for you to show up and say, Matt, let's do a podcast. And that just hasn't happened. Yeah, it wasn't on my calendar. I'm call- <laughs> <laughs> and we're calling that our winter break. Yeah, it's been a, a little over a month, which we're back and uh, we have quite the robust uh, recording schedule coming up here. And why not start it out with a great Midwestern story? <laughs> amazing founder, amazing company. Hi, Daniel. Hey, how are you today? I really appreciate you coming in. Um, you are one of a very small handful of non-Kansas City companies that have actually joined us here in the studio. So I appreciate you coming town to uh, have a night of fun and entertainment with us at one of Kansas City's finest venues. And we're going to get our rage out when we go see Disturbed. Can't wait. And I'm actually really happy to be here on your first podcast of 2019, I've been led to believe. It is. Excellent. It is. It's a really special time and, for all of us. And hopefully not the last. And one of our first events at the suite, at this at the Sprint Center, too. Yeah, yeah so, we can talk some more about that at some point, too. I heard there's some new equipment in here as well. Is that is that the case as well? I know there's a new sign that's really impressive. Well, you know, we are experimenting with finally getting the live stream of our video down. And for those of you listening... I'm hoping that you will be able to see the video of this, um, and we're hoping that going forward, we're going to do a live stream of the recording of the podcast, warts and all. Like actually so, live? Like actually live through the Startup Hustle uh, Facebook chat and other places that people that work here will set up, and I'll tell you about later. So, <laughs> well, Dan, tell us a little bit about, you're, you're here uh, fresh off the plane from uh, Minneapolis. That's correct, yep. I'm a transplant there actually as well. I, can't, I don't know if your listeners know this, but I have a Boston accent, or I've been told I have a Boston accent. Chowda. Oh yeah, ka. Yeah, ka. So, yeah, pock the ka. <laughs> I'm like, where are we gonna pock the ka tonight? <laughs> Well, but no, with that. So, uh, how about those Patriots? Oh, you guys, dude, want, to, you guys want to go into that? We can definitely oh talk about my that game. God, I didn't even think about that. Well, thanks for joining us on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those who are listening, you know the the Chiefs and the Patriots played uh, football a couple of days ago. So, we won't talk about that anymore. Moving on. So, you're from Boston. That's correct. Or just outside, but yeah. Boston. All right, no. I've been there a few times. Good I place have too. Oh, man. Why do you have to bring that up? You just totally you killed the vibe. It was, it was bound to come up, guys. I mean, it was a hell of a game, and there should be no disappointment in your mind. That was it was, great, it that was, was a great game. very entertaining. I hear this sound. It was very entertaining. Uh, Almost had a stroke the entire second half of that game. I got Everybody. all of my entertainment value out of it, including the 20-minute walk to my car with frozen toes. Oh, you guys were there. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. That was uh, – but, well, at, since we're talking about fame and fortune, my wife – got her 15 minutes in she was all over tv 
wrapped in blankets, scarves, everything. And then later on one of the late shows, Adam Lambert was singing a song about the AFC championship and they showed her picture in there. So, and that all happened on her birthday. So wow. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Is that all planned or that it, just happens sporadically? Yeah, I called Adam and I was <laughs> like, so dude, it's Jill's birthday and we're pretty sure that Tom Brady's going to screw us all. So if you could do something to make it better, I have, I'm salty about Tom Brady. As dreamy as he is, he's been screwing me out of Super Bowls from all the way back when I lived in Indianapolis, and it happened a couple times, and now this one. But let's talk about better stuff. Let's talk about uh, the company that you're a founder of. Uh, let's talk about Dealer Teamwork and some dealer of team the work? others. Actually, I, I think we should also say longtime listener, first-time guest. Yeah, I've been listening to you guys for a while now. I'm yeah, sorry. So am I. I was wondering, when we're gonna we're gonna take any callers today, or is this gonna be like a, an internal conversation? I don't know if we're ready. We don't have that technology yet. <laughs> well, you talk about the new equipment too, which is awesome because we have this really amazing sign, and then we didn't get a camera to show it. So, yeah, that's a bit of failure is always an option. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. So anyway, dealer teamwork. Uh, you guys have a pretty pretty nice success story uh you guys only started this thing a couple years ago and it's been doing real well for you both about three years ago yep it's been doing real well we've had explosive growth and uh, a lot of great opportunities presented to us we have an amazing product that really helps car dealers move metal as they say in the industry so tell us tell us a little more about what exactly you guys do like what is the product what is the service Right. So in order to tell you, like really illustrate what the product does and how it came about, I'd like to tell you this little quick story. I was uh, on my computer working at a car dealership that I worked at for several years and then another one after that. Um, back in those days, when you Googled things like Jeep Wrangler lease or Altima prices, you'd get ads that would say things like Altima has four seats or Jeep has four wheel drive. And I realized there's a huge gap here of being able to answer the questions that customers are looking for, which is, how much are these vehicles and how much do they cost on a monthly basis? And I, and I also wrote at the same time that when you click on these ads, they don't go to places that further explain the Altima or further explain the Wrangler. They go right into the inventory and don't deliver the promise of pricing information, payment information, you know, safety features. They just go right into the inventory. It's like they skip the welcome mat and they're in the kitchen. And that felt like a problem to me. So what we set out to do is we create a product called the MPOP. It's a merchandising personalization and optimization platform. It's a really complicated way of saying what we do is we take the inventory feed from the dealership, use that same pricing information to create offers, which we allow the, the dealers themselves actually have a, access to this platform. They build offers for each individual vehicle stock number, and they can then broadcast that information to several landing pages within their website, all SEO'd, ready to show up all over, all over Google, all over Bing. But at the same time, they're also able to broadcast that same pricing message in real time to AdWords. So if you Google Jeep Wrangler lease, we show an ad for Jeep Wrangler lease. And if you click that ad for the Jeep Wrangler lease, you're greeted with that same exact pricing information on a page that has a very fulfilling experience for a customer. That was really where, where we had the aha moments when we saw that nice no, call to action and all the information they're really looking for. Yep. We follow the best practices, wrap it in schema. I mean, we're doing everything you're supposed to do to make that page pop. So part of the issue that I, all right, and, you know, listening to what you were just 
you know, the problem that you're solving here was people say, okay, I can get this car and it's going to be three ninety nine a month, but then they end up on a page where it's like four seventy or something like that. It probably that. doesn't so say anything. It didn't say anything. It, I mean, it was actually, we used to joke a lot. There was this, this, this uh, dealership that we were in the vicinity of when we were out in Minneapolis where you'd Google F-150 lease and you'd, you'd learn about everything but the lease price of the, of the F-150 in their advertising. It's kind of like I, I heard on the radio this morning, a local car dealer was advertising you know, you can buy this kind of car with these terms or whatever, but it was a radio ad. How do I actually get to the details of the car, right? And a lot of ads are the same way. Like you see banner ads or display ads and like, get this car. But then when you click on the ad, you don't actually get meaningful information. Okay. And the it's kind of clickbait, right? You just land on the dealer's website and you're like, okay, well, it didn't fulfill the ad I clicked on. And that's a, that's a, that's a plague of the industry is that there, I mean, the whole purpose of having a landing page is to actually land a person on, on relevant information. And, you know, it's extremely difficult to find that information on a car dealership website. Most of the ads wouldn't include the price. Even fewer of them would include a way to understand how you get to a good price. I mean, when was the last time you guys bought a, a major purchase without knowing how much it was going to cost you? And most people in America buy things on a monthly payment basis, their phone, their internet service, their cable TV or, you know, streaming service. It's all paid for on a monthly basis because people don't just have tons of cash sitting around to pay extraordinary prices up front. That's interesting. And, you know, you use the example of, so, and maybe you guys assist with this and maybe you don't. Um, so you mentioned the F-150. So we rode here in mine today, which is technically a Raptor. Yep. And as you know, with F-150s, like many other cars, there's 10,000 flavors of them. Does does what you guys do even assist with the routing of things? Because like, here's the thing is I find it frustrating if I want to look up the Ford Raptor and I end up with a Ranger or like I, I want something very specific. So is that where, is it customizable and solvable and... Absolutely. Yeah, I have actually a very similar story to that one as well. I, I've been a big Dodge Challenger Hellcat fan for a long mm -hmm. time, trying to find an ad that fulfills the promise of pricing information for a Hellcat. It's very challenging. You type in Hel Challenger Hellcat and you're getting ads for SXT Challengers. It's just that's a V6 version of that vehicle. I'm looking for one with 700 or 800 horsepower. It's not relevant. So we've set out to solve that problem as well. Raptor shopper is not the same as a Lariat shopper or, you know, right. base price. So, yeah, we we absolutely address that problem and we solve that problem. And, and so then on the flip side of that as well is is if you're a, a cost per click advertiser, you're just burning money and wasting it. If you're if you have people ending up in the wrong landing page or for the wrong product, like I, you don't want to be buying the F-150 ad for me if I'm looking for a specific flavor of it. So I'm, I'm assuming it starts to your service starts to pay for itself through reduction in ad costs and increases in, uh, you know, sales. Right? Well, and you, and you talk, we talked a lot about in the past about SEO and uh, the long tail. Yeah. It's like their product is all about the long tail, right? It's yeah. about the very specific offers, the very specific vehicles and mm -hmm. optimizing the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. It's all about the long tail. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, what, what, back in the day when I was working at the car dealership, everybody was trying to rank for Nissan Altima. That's a really challenging thing to rank for, even locally, because you had Cars.com trying to rank for it. You got Edmund trying to rank for it. You got every dealership that sells Nissan Altima product trying to rank for it. And it doesn't really, that doesn't really end up being a customer all the time. When they type in Nissan Altima, they could be tire kicking, they could be exploring sedan options. 
I want to be in front of the customer at the bottom of the funnel when they're typing in yeah. Nissan Altima price or how much is one or invoice or deals, offers. I mean, that's where I want to be because that's what the customer is. Nissan Altima is when they start their search. I want to be there when they're ready to commit to a purchase. Okay. So you guys started this, what was it, 2016, you said? Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I was just reading an article about you guys and your, uh, your high growth pattern. And, you know, we don't, you, we don't ask our guests too specific stuff with that. But um, you, as you know, from listening to the show, we like to talk about the things we did well, the things we didn't do well. And, you know, part of our mission here is to help people avoid some of the mistakes that we made. What were some of the challenges you guys ran into building this thing so fast? Because you guys have over 100 employees, right? We do. We went from about 10 two years ago to over 100 now. And we're actually opening up a brand new office, believe it or not. We just got into our our newest office about a year ago. We're already outgrowing it. So I, I do believe it because we have just finished doing that ourselves with full scale. Congratulations. Yeah, it's just nuts. It's just nuts. Well, we have, a, is it 151 employees or something? That's like that? the, well, if we, 159 All right. worldwide. Yeah. All right. But who's counting? <laughs> but yeah, same thing. So that, that, uh, um, you know, trying to hang on, on some regards and just not like, I don't know, just not have it all spin out of control. So, yeah. So where were some of the challenges, if you don't mind sharing with us a little bit or give, give other hopeful founders some advice about what they could avoid? Absolutely. No, that's a great question. And I actually have a pretty good answer for that as well. Uh, growing up, a little bit of a, of a loud mouth in the dealership, equally loud and kind of obnoxious at times. And I, I burned a lot of bridges, you know, in my automotive career. And that did come back to bite me. The one thing I would tell your, your listeners and your readership as well, Matt and Matt, is I would tell them, find mentors early. Find someone who's going to promote you, who's going to show you the ropes, who's going to teach you what you don't know and show you your blind spots. I had many great mentors in my life. There's also this concept that I read about recently called the anti-mentor. This is an example of a person who you still like, you like them, but they exhibit uh, behavior and and thought process that you don't agree with, and you try to avoid that that thought process. Oh, that's why we're partners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is perfect. I spend most of my day trying to not be like Matt. Yeah, this is yeah, this is great. So you're the anti. Yeah, yeah. Are you the anti partner? Yeah, yeah. This is great. You, you need that. Yeah, you know. I actually I agree with you uh, like a thousand percent on that, and I think that that and I'm actually just kidding about Watson. Now everything I do is trying to be more like you. I know. But I wasn't kidding. Oh my God. You're a great role model. Now, see, now that we're now that we're <laughs> actually effectively recording this, the the viewers can see my eye roll, which, <laughs> which was hard to convey. Like I spend, for those of you listening, I spend most of my time rolling my eyes when Watson's talking. But bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, I think that. Uh, uh, all right. So I look back in my at my professional history and. Um, at one point I worked for a chain of musical instrument retailers and I, there was a couple things that were done that drove that company out of business. And I look back at it and I'm like, wow, you know, like there's some things not to do here. And later when I was working for Roland, I watched a lot of people not adapt their business to modern whatever, yep. you know, these were businesses that are like, oh, this internet stuff, it's a fad. Mm, it's probably not. And, no. you know, but watching some of the the stubborn mistakes that people made and then even just some managers or other people that just aren't really good at what they do. And you got to kind of you said like the anti-mentor, like I really have to make sure I'm not like this guy. Yeah. 
I mean, if I, 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 you spend enough time with me, I'll eventually say, yeah, I'm trying really hard to not be that guy. And I'll throw out the air quotes. It doesn't necessarily mean, well, sometimes I'm pointing that at someone. guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so what are your, th you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of mentoring. I actually take on a couple mentors. Um, actually, Andrew Morgan's mentorees. Yeah. He's a, a mentees. yeah. he's a mentee. And I, and I've had this, uh, I feel that, 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 that knowledge transfer is really powerful. It is. And yeah. that if someone gave it to you, it's not yours to hang on to. So I think it's important to kind of hand, hand it along. And, and I would also encourage those that have a specific skill or information to uh, find some mentees because they say, you, you know, teaching it, it just helps you learn it even it, that much more. It does. And it fulfills your life in a way that few things can. I, I love mentorship on both the giving and receiving. And do you have any mentees? I'm working on it. I mean, that's definitely something that's important to me because I would not be on the show with you guys today. I would not be anywhere near where I am in my career without tremendous mentors in my life. Uh, I feel like I still need to have a long way to go before I can really take on someone that can actually add a lot of value to their life. But it's definitely something I think about a lot and want to definitely do in, in my future. Um, did you have, Matt, did you have some, I mean, we don't have to necessarily name them, but when you look back, like I look back, I was talking, I have a guy, uh, uh, Bill Perks was one of my first mentors. And um, I still find myself saying a lot of things that he said to me, like he always used to say, well, we're not going to sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate. <laughs> I good. say that a lot. That's a good it, one. It meant a lot to me. And, you know, like some of the things that, that, def that people would say, I think you also want to be careful about what some of your input sources are, because some people can tell you some crazy stuff that doesn't make sense. But so I don't think I've ever really had a official mentor, but I would say that my business partners that I've always had have sort of, you know, passively been a mentor, you know, learning things from them. And, and even an anti-mentor. Yeah. 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 Well, one of my business partners for sure was an anti-mentor. Not you, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, somebody in the past, but um, never really had an official mentor. And I've never really had official mentees either, but I love to meet with other startup founders. Yeah, and I was going to say, you do that Give a lot. them advice, and yeah. I always give them the advice even if they don't want it. Right. Um, but <laughs> but that's, a, important. that's an important part. And I enjoy yeah. that. Like, yeah. I, I enjoy that. I had a conversation with somebody the other day who wanted me to sign an NDA, and I'm like, uh, no. I, <laughs> I actually, like, so it's been a couple years now, or maybe three, where I've actually, like, invited people. Like, if, if you're, if you, I take on a couple mentees, and I have a couple of rules. One, don't waste my time. And two, you can't get mad at me if I'm telling you something you don't want to hear. The truth sometimes hurts, but it's always yeah. necessary. Yeah. You don't have to agree with me, but you can't, if you're going to get mad at me because I'm not telling you what you want to hear, then I'm not, I'm not going to be interested in, in passing on that advice. Well, it's not mentorship. If you're, if you're telling them what they want to hear, it's what they don't want to hear. That's the most valuable thing you right. can actually Well, you talk to. about talking with startup founders. That was the very first time you and I ever sat down and talked to each other because mm -hmm. we had actually had some conversation about our past history of working with or being involved in the ticket business. And then later I asked you if you'd sit down and give me some advice related to, to Gigabar. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember that meeting and, um, you know, since and knowing you since you've always, I feel like you've always been very hospitable and willing to sit down and talk to a lot of people. So I think sometimes just because someone doesn't say, um, I'm your mentor or, or you're my mentee, it doesn't mean they're not, you're not mentoring. Exactly. It's yeah. not a proposal. I mean, you, you either are or you aren't. It's just an open conversation with someone that you routinely have. It sure. really becomes a mentor uh, 
type of relationship. Uh, you would also ask about some other mistakes I made. I'll tell you about a couple more. Um, one of the biggest mistakes I think a lot of startups make is trying to be too much of a pleaser. You get a couple clients that don't pay you very much, which are the most expensive clients you have, but also the most valuable ones that you have as well, because they allow you the opportunity to work and learn what your customer is going to look like going forward as tap the table. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you learn a lot from working with your first customers about what to do and what to completely avoid. And it's expensive to learn that knowledge, but it's the type of acquired knowledge that's extremely powerful and useful later on in life. We had a, a lot of clients that, that tr treated us really well. We had some clients to complete advantage of us, and we didn't know enough about being a company yet to identify that this, this company is running us ragged, and we're not going to be able to keep up with this. I, I give that advice sometimes. I say sometimes you have to fire your clients. You do. Well, one of the one of the biggest things you have to learn is is to know when to say no. Exactly. Right. And at my old company, Vin Solutions, that was one of the problems that we had is the product did everything. And the product had so many levers and switches that nobody even knew how to operate all the levers and switches. Because every time a new client wanted something, we would add it. And it was yet another lever and yet another switch. And our support team had no idea how our product actually worked because there were too many levers. And you gotta and you gotta avoid that at all costs, right? Because you wanna make sure you focus on the core competencies right. of your product to make sure you deliver the best experience. What we always take a lot of customer feedback, and I encourage businesses to listen to their customers, but know that not every idea that they have is a good one. And not every idea that you execute on is gonna make you money or be lucrative to you or keep your company in business. We, we've made mistakes. We've, we've had missteps, and we've learned a lot from them. The failures are actually more valuable sometimes than the actual victories. Because I think the failures are absolutely more valuable. They're necessary. You, it's easy to be stubborn and think that your shitty idea or concept or whatever, eventually you have to kind of learn from that. Um, and sometimes despite the most experienced and best advice that people can give you, you – well. In, until you get burned, you don't fully, on many levels, believe that fire is actually hot, you know, and I, I think, but that's a big thing when, uh, you know, anything from VCs to people uh, wanting to get like C-suite type jobs, like I want to know what your biggest failure is, because if you've never had a big fat failure, then you're walking around and you still think you're bulletproof and that fire doesn't burn you and stuff like that. And you're going to be a lot more reckless possibly than others, you know, like, I don't know. And I don't think you should be afraid to fail. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of entrepreneurs out there telling you to fail fast, fail quickly, fail often, and then learn from those failures and make improvements and stride in, in your development process. And I, I think the failures are necessary. I think they, and I agree with you. Any business that doesn't have a, at least one failure, you got to look at that business very closely before getting involved in it. Um, you know, my, my anti-mentor, actually, I'm not going to name any names here, but my anti-mentor um, said to me very famously, some very wise wisdom actually came from a children's story called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. The premise of that story is, if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for a glass of milk, and then they're going to be tired, and they're going to want a couch to sleep on, and they want a pillow, and it's, it's, it's endless, endless requests. You need to know where to draw the line, because that line needs to exist for you. On a side note, I read If You Give a Mouse a Cookie to my four-year-old daughter as I was putting her to bed. It's a great book. Last yeah. night or when? No, recently, because I remember it, because we have a series of If You Give a huh. <laughs> kind of books. Yes, yes. If You Give so, a Moose a Muffin, I think, is the other one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't know if we have that one, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of books. Sounds like I need those. They're, they're, very, they're very powerful books that, that start any childhood. 
um, on the right foot. Matt once gave me a book called Baby Learns Code. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. That's in my desk still, I think. And maybe I will read it to you guys later tonight after the show. Perfect. One yeah, can we're going to have a spoken word version of Baby Learns Code <laughs> in the suite. So, okay. So, um, Dealer Teamwork's been successful, and that has led to some other things. You have another, you're also a founder of? Home and Local Services. So what does that do? All right. So <laughs> my partner, Sean Stapleton, had the, I, I thought what we created with Dealer Teamwork was a dealership solution. Now, we, now some people here know Sean. Yeah, he was a partner of Bin Solutions, too. Wow. So okay. yeah. we have that connection yeah. Yeah. on for sure. That's yeah. like Eskimo brothers in business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It totally is. Sean took a look at this very early on and said, this isn't an automotive tool. This is a marketing solution. If it has a SKU or a VIN number and a price tag to it, people will buy this product. And he was 100% right. And that's why you need mentorship. So you can see these things you can't see on your own. And uh, yeah, we actually went into the home services vertical. We're now working with plumbing companies, electrician companies. Uh, home repair, home improvement, moving storage. I mean, you name it, we're interested in talking to them. And, you know, what's really exciting to me is I would never have looked at that business on my own. And when we did look at that business, there's a ton of opportunity to help these businesses have been so underserviced by all these companies that just don't do what they say they're doing. I mean, the cost that they were they were charging is unbelievable. The value they were adding was so minuscule that we come in there and we're able to really make an, a positive impact on their business. We're really excited about that. And what's oh sorry. Uh, so I was just gonna say, so as a consumer, how would I see that? So if I go to Google now and I search moving company Kansas City, am I gonna get an ad that's very specific about that and a and an offer and I click on a landing page, I get a, an offer and very specific yeah, it's a little different from how what we did with dealer team because we adapted the model a little bit. What my one of my mentors, Tom Johnson, taught me, who's one of our partners at Home Local Services, is that when you're home when you're a home services customer, typically your water heater exploded or your bathroom's flooding or something painful that you're dealing. You need with. help now. You need help now. So, what are the considerations a customer makes when they want to make a, a purchase from a from a plumber or, or whatnot? Well, they want to know: Can I trust you? Can I afford you? And how fast can you get there and fix my problem for me? And by looking at this psychologically, we've been able to figure out, okay, we want to use the pricing model. The pricing draws them into our pages. But once they're there, we immediately answer with Google reviews and Yelp and whatever uh, review resources are available to us. You can trust us. We have a five point, we have a 5.0 star rating out of five. Here's the price that you can expect to pay for us to come to your house and assess your problem today and then schedule or call us right now immediately. And that's really the problem we've solved is that we actually addressed it up front. Most other plumbing situations, if you were to Google, you know, Kansas City or whatnot, you know, plumber or fix my water heater, you're going to see an ad that's not going to really answer the question. Right. You know, I don't really know if they can help me and I don't know when they can be out here and I don't know how much it's going to cost. That's exactly right. Aren't there some other predictive tools in there that help the business itself understand how the workload might exist? A absolutely. And uh, you guys have helped us with that quite a bit. Actually. I thought that was really cool, by the way. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so what we what you guys have helped us with is a product called the CPOP, which is a call board product that allows us to give the businesses we work with a way of telling us how many jobs they can fulfill, how many boots they have on the ground. So if they have 30 plumbers available at any given time, let's say it's today, and they've only booked about 16 jobs, they have 14 remaining spots, they have 14 guys twiddling their thumbs potentially, we want to make sure we address that. So we use the call board to power the aggressiveness of our advertising. If they're booked, we can raise our price up 
to protect the costs for the, for the business so they aren't like, you know, whoring themselves out essentially to get customers. But if they are in a position where they're having difficulty generating a customer that day, we can use that information from the call board to drive to dynamically drive our price down that's being advertised on the on the website pages as well as on our, our Google ads and attract customers in more rapidly. Or or understanding if it's gonna be hundred and seven degrees <laughs> that that uh, people may have more HVAC needs or, exactly. or whatever. I think that's really cool because you know you look at a business and and um, anytime you can fill the gaps where you might not be making money or, or like what you just described, have some idea about what your demand is and what you're talking about um, is dynamic pricing mm -hmm. and demand you know, driven. Dynamic yeah. Demand, pricing. Cause demand I think that's driven. the real differentiator is, is, is aligning the business's needs with marketing resources. And we go back and we look at the game that the chiefs should have beat the Patriots in, and had every opportunity it, to do that. <laughs> so much we want to address with that. That's okay. We can talk about it later. I know we might have to, especially after I start drinking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, dynamic pricing, the, the, the ticketing industry is a perfect example of that. And that's actually one of the reasons I exited it because as the years went by companies like live nation, okay. When I first started in tickets, it was $59 for a front row ticket or like a 69th row ticket. And that the reason that ticket brokers or scalpers or whatever you want to call them existed was because there was massive market inefficiency in there. They were leaving money there that other people could scoop up. And, you know, if you're able to predict how many service providers you need, like the worst thing you could have is 25 people calling. And it's a day where you let half your staff just not even you know, come in or whatever. And there's a lot of, you know, that's some people call that business intelligence or whatever, but that's a pretty important part because a missed opportunity is just as expensive as any of them. I mean, and that's, you are trying to make your business grow. You got to figure out where you can fill in the blanks, where you can do a lot of other things. That's like that's something that Stackify does on a different level, like helping you assess where your platform is, not servicing or malfunctioning or doing a whole lot of other things and figuring that out. How to, how to make improvements. How to make improvements yeah. without troubleshooting and, and you know, creating that efficiency rather than paying a software developer to troubleshoot and try to find a bunch of different stuff. So, I mean, it's in that same vein. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So well, I think that's pretty cool. So, and those are separate businesses there's an association between them we have a parent company called digital teamwork where we're developing mm -hmm. additional verticals we can we can look at and explore but uh yeah there's a, there's a relationship in the software but they're two very different companies of different management and different you know goals for the customer so customers how, how do you guys do software development is it hard to find software developers in minneapolis are they crazy expensive like everywhere else or it, it it's it's challenge. It can be a challenge. It does pose a challenge quite often, which is why we've reached out to you guys. And we're doing a lot of work with you guys. You guys have helped us immensely. Um, you know, you guys are easily, and for all of our other clients that may hear any of this, you guys are remarkably organized. Like, and the the accuracy and uh, planning that you guys put into anything you're about to build. And I only have had a couple exposures just sitting down on, you know, meetings, but I was just shocked. I was like, Oh my God. So this is how you're supposed to do it. I mean, whoever manager guys is a uh, product, like, like, director of product, wherever that person is, is obviously very detail oriented. Yeah. Knows what they're doing, what they want. 
Seems really lays out all the like mock-ups and yeah. design and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and but, but that, that is what enables a developer or someone that's building it. Like it's a roadmap, it's a blueprint. Like it's, it's very impressive. It made me realize how much I probably need to get my shit together in about 10 different places, but yeah, very commendable. So, so with that, you were, you know, are you finding some challenges? Like we, and by the way, this isn't a plug for full scale. You know, we help software companies, you know, augment their software teams. But the fact is, is one of the biggest challenges that is actually getting worse for people that build software is finding the people to build it. Yes. And both on a local level and then on some levels could be even global. Well, they call them human resources for a reason, right? Like you well, have did to that have, have a, did that have an H on it or was that human? High human. Shh. We're talking about human, talk- human resources. That sounds weird. I can't hear you. No, I don't do that. The, um, yeah, I can't say ages. Leave me alone. But <laughs> if all businesses have human resources, right? And if you don't have the people you need, then then it, then it you hurt. Like Stackify right now, we're trying to hire a director of sales, and we haven't been able to find one. So that hurts us, right? right. We That's a human resource that we need. Well, and, and in Minneapolis, you're competing with Best Buy and Target, right? Best Buy and Target, yep. We compete with them very, very frequently and very often. Um, what I really like about the partnership that we've forged is that you guys have allowed us to have access to developers in a variety of different capacities and places while still being able to help us manage those processes and the product itself. It's, made us, it's allowed us to help scale out our software and our team development much more rapidly than we would have been able to do localized to Minneapolis or any other, you know, hub. It's challenging. I mean, there's a lot of competition for developers. I think you were telling me earlier, Matt, that they graduate 300 uh, software developers in this area, and there's probably 450, 600 jobs that are just sitting there vacant for more, them. More. Yeah. I was telling, more. I giving them that uh, staff that we got from the Kansas Chamber of Commerce that uh, in 2017, the state graduated like 338 computer science grads. I mean, we're going to hire more people than that. Uh, it just in Cebu yeah. before the end of the year. And, you know, with that, regardless of our local ability to keep up with that kind of demand and produce that kind of talent, the businesses are still going to need it, whether it's mm-hmm. there or not. Um, you know, and so when also when on the way in from the airport, you know, I was sharing with Daniel that locally here in Kansas City, uh, we have Garmin and Cerner. And for most people outside of Kansas City, you probably never even heard of Cerner, but that is the largest provider of medical software in the world. Is that correct? Uh, Isn't one of your fellow masters, the um, Master Watson, uh, wasn't that the founder of Cerner? They have like $70 billion in revenue or something insane. I think like... It's like 30% of all hospitals in the United States use Cerner or something like that. Like it's a staggering number. So now you look at a Kansas City startup or even just any, you know, second stage business and they're competing with that. And, and, you know, then on top of it, companies that deal with medical related software or information are often bound by HIPAA, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is data protection. Speaking of data, your your local uh, employment competitor had a massive data breach, not what, a couple of years ago, didn't target (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I'm not talking about that, but no, you know, I mean, that can happen whether you're dealing with people locally or, or, or anywhere, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, so like Cerner doesn't hire, they hire people locally because they can't, some companies can't get outside of the United States to find people because of certain restrictions. Some of the financial 
services businesses are similar. So, And that just drives the cost up for companies that are trying to use software to, to improve their business and build a product that they can sell. And the demand is so high for those jobs, the cost just goes astronomically high. And Well, so speaking of that, one of our own employees, uh, her son is a sophomore in college. Yep. And he just got a job offer for $110,000. Insane. To work, sophomore. to work yeah. remotely for a company in Europe. And he's a sophomore in college. Yeah. With like a year of experience. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, he's nice. a smart He's a smart young man. Yeah. He's probably yeah. one of the top of his class. Let me ask him. But he's crazy. $110,000. How smart is he? Did he take the job or did he stay in school? No, he took the job. Smart boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I told our employee like over and over, I'm like, he went to college to get a job. Yep. Yeah. And you don't need a college degree to write code. No. That's, take uh, the job. That's why I kept dropping out of college. I did, probably, I, did I sell that? Delivering oh, pizza is not the same. Oh, <laughs> hey, I was an entrepreneur. I, I, I was an entrepreneur. <laughs> I mean, no, not really. I did deliver pizza once. How'd that was I was I was okay. That was well before GPS, and that's when gas was like sixty-eight cents a gallon. Oh, I can imagine doing that without GPS. I can't. Even oh, imagine. dude, it was terrible. Oh god. Yeah, I'm yeah. geographically challenged. Even with the GPS, saw that would have not been a job I could have maintained. No GPS comments, man. Because I often just ignore mine. Okay. You got us here safe. So we're okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you and I have been on adventures before where you don't watch the GPS. That's true. Whatever. I've said that, that vehicle saved your life. Okay, whatever. Did it? It yeah. did save my life once, but that was a different story. Okay, so um, all right. So now your business grow. You got a hundred people that are working there. Is the way that you keep it growing? Is it through creating other things like you did with home and local services or is it is it you know there are there's a finite amount of auto dealers uh-huh. so how do you deal with that i mean because i would imagine at this point you have to have reached out to most of them or is that even possible we have a very talented uh, sales team that's been headed up by some very talented individuals so i, I would be very surprised if we haven't hit them up at least two or three times at this point sure how many how many dealership customers do you think you have well, we just signed a very, very large deal with with FCA, which is Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Fiat, Alfa Romeo, Maserati. I think I got all of them. And uh, that's 2,662 dealerships that we now have code deployed on right now. Is that worldwide? It's localized in the United States right now, I'm pretty certain. There be, there's definitely some um, percentage of that in Canada, but I think it's a smaller so, percentage. So you'll have every single Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep. Yeah, you know, unless, unless we don't, unless we fail to execute, which is not going to be well, a that's problem. That's crazy. Yep. Plus, you, I mean, plus you have a whole lot of other customers. I mean, I know one of you guys knows this because we've even brought this up. How many? What's the estimate estimated number of car dealers in the United States? I think it's it's just shy of twenty thousand, I believe, and somewhere between sixteen thousand and twenty thousand. There's far more independents, which are absolutely underserviced as well. So if someone listening here wants, so to, that's not even the independent ones. No, that's no. That's, okay. that's, that's like there's another. More indi- there's more indies. That's than like at another least three times. I would estimate depending on who you count as an independent dealer. It's another twenty thousand to hundred thousand, something like that. Yeah. Twenty thousand. That's a pretty broad range. It is. Well, it so, depends. Is it a is it a little lot that sells two cars? Or is it a guy who registered for a dealership, but he really has three Ferraris and he's trying to escape paying taxes? <laughs> like, that has he has a dealer's license though, right? Like, there's a there's a whole lot of people that is have. Is that a thing? Can you? Do oh that? yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I have friends that do that. <laughs> they have a dealer's license. They have to buy buy and sell two cars a year or something to keep their license, hmm. and then they don't pay sales tax on the cars. Well, I've noticed. That, I mean, we've we've That's seen. Like uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, are they dealers? 
I was that, yes, of course. Technically, I, I was asking for a friend. Oh, okay. On that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll well, tell you more later. <laughs> well, I think that's. All. I know a guy. <laughs> I'm going to steal your car again when you live in town. You can tell me off the air. Okay, three weeks. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I am going to probably do that again. I know where you keep the key. You let okay. him, you let him drive your car. Yeah, he did. Brain. He loaned yeah, it to me once, brain. probably the last time. But was yeah. the red one we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, oh, boy. yeah. Oh boy, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we tried. We took it out. We tried to figure how many shoe boxes can you fit in the back of it. And <laughs> drove it to play penny slots, and um, I was trying to win my own car. I didn't. I didn't. That was it. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about bad business models. That was one of them. Okay, so. Um, with that sales model, you know, like I said, when you have a finite pool of people that you're dealing with, is it about, is it about the repetition or like, cause I, as a salesperson, I feel like you, I always had, you need a reason to call. Yeah. And we were talking on uh, the way in about your experience with someone who had been calling you and he goes, I told this guy, if he calls me one more time, I'm going to find him and kill him. <laughs> and I was, and I told him, I said, I kind of want to hire that sales guy because yeah, that's like person. what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. he was a very low level sales guy, but no, he uh, he was very persistent. Uh, he made a sale. He did. He did make a sale over time. Um, yeah. <laughs> so is, I mean, is that is that? Uh, I don't know. I I feel like in 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 industries. You know, people jump on the bandwagon. So, you know, I wouldn't in the past. I wouldn't be afraid to call and be like, "Hey, you know, so and so is using this." Uh -huh. um, I'm just not, you know, like, how do you guys handle that? I, I guess if you have a hundred thousand people to call, well, they really have that's like a lot. It's, yeah. it's like it's probably more like fifteen thousand or even less because they probably don't even service rural dealerships. Usually, yeah, like dealerships are out in the middle of nowhere in the country. It's usually the ones in the bigger metro areas. So that's a Probably eighty percent of the total. Group, yeah, but. I, would, I would agree with that number. I mean, I, I think it is continuing to identify uh, other verticals, other industries we can service. I mean, again, if it has a price tag and you can sell it, we can probably do something for you with I it. I love that. You know, and that's, I like selling. That's stuff. a pretty open business model as well. That can be shoes online. I know you guys are big shoe guys. Like, they could be shoes yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. That could be, you know, repeat on your bit on your original thing, but uh, tickets. It could be that. It could be, you know, again, anything with a price tag, a skew, an inventory. I mean, and, and, and obviously even things outside of that as well, because uh, technically a plumbing outfit's not really an inventory. They have an inventory of boots on the ground, but. Well, I think that's still inventory. It's inventory it's of similar. available service providers. That's I mean, true. If, if they're uh, having no one that can come make a service call is the same as being out of stock of a product. That's very accurate. Except for you can't order a plumber on Amazon. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're looking at we're looking at Amazon as well very closely to see what's possible there. Huh. Well, uh, okay. Something else we wanted to talk about: um, ADHD. Ooh. So I got it. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and that's something you and I have talked about just through Messenger and just stuff like that. Um, I tell people this all the time, and I get a lot of people that give me blowback on it. I would not give my ADD back. Like, there's cer certain qualities that come with it that, quite honestly, took me a I'm talking like decades to figure out. I, I refer to it as the lightning in the bottle. And it took me a long time, uh, kind of like you, you made a reference earlier, like, oh, I was a loud math. Yes, yeah, so was I. <laughs> I was disruptive. I had a lot of issues. Um, you know, my daughter is that had dipped into my gene pool a lot more than my wife's uh without a doubt because she's well she's a great salesperson mm -hmm. 
She's pretty good. I've got another video. We, she, all my daughter wanted for Christmas was a lemonade stand, which made me want to cry because I that's was like, awesome. that's awesome. That's but, fantastic. But with it comes some challenges. Um, sometimes I think uh, everyone on the show here is admitted to having entrepreneurial ADD. That's right. Yep, for sure. So how do you, like, what's your, what, how, Matt, do you think you have ADD? You have some qualities. What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> shiny, I do, shiny I do a little bit. I mean, I, uh, either that or I'm just a master at multitasking, but I'm, I easily get distracted. <laughs> I'm easily distracted for sure. Yeah. And, um, I, I definitely have some of it. So what about you? Like what, what are your strengths and weaknesses as an entrepreneur with ADD? Uh, I, just to back up a second. Uh, Wait, I'm, let's tap, all tap the table together. Okay, there we go. It's like a drum, drum roll right there. Um, <laughs> I, I know ADHD has always been kind of an interesting uh, ally and, and enemy for me. Uh, early on in life, it was extremely challenging to like you to have it and like be successful. I, I remember I remember being in a room and having this doctor tell my parents, I mean, they're going to go to jail by 18 or be a genius. And, I, and, you know, obviously, I think I went one direction, hopefully, because uh, I haven't been to prison. At least not yet. And uh, give it time. I don't know exactly. Um, no, but with ADHD and entrepreneurship, like it, it, it really does allow you that opportunity to multitask very, very rapidly, very quickly. And I think it's my attention to detail that I didn't have as a kid that I developed over time that really made me successful with ADHD. There's there's tons of kids out there with ADHD who are not successful because they have lower self confidence. And that was me when I was a kid. You know, I didn't really know what it was, and they didn't really. Treat, they treated you a lot differently back in the in the uh, late '80s and early '90s when you had ADHD. It was this giant affliction. I now, was I, so I'm 43, and I was like in the first like flight of the ADHD movement. You were like, you were in early. Yeah, like yeah, I was an early adopter of ADD. But you know, there was a lot of things that you know I I remember seeing like my parents were like, "What's wrong with this kid?" And I mean, I was just outgoing, but. I also, you know, like with it comes, well, for me, I can get pissed. Yeah. It took me a while. To, and sometimes that's still hard. I always prefer to like the Hulk reference from the movie. It was like days without incident. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> but I had an issue with that. Um, I think it can make you kind of emotional. The things that for me that I still consider it to be a bit of a superpower. Do you take meds for ADD? I do. I actually have have we have taken different medicine. I was on Adderall most of my life, and it's it's a part of my life that I really regret that I didn't look at it more closely because it made me a very unhappy person, very hmm. irritable. I'm on I'm on more mood stabilizing medicines now, and that's really been it's unlocked my potential to be on. I take a shitload of Adderall. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I mean, I do. Like, I mean, that's like the doctors like. And when I say that, I don't mean like. I mean, it's prescribed, but I get. I just accepted that. I'm a more, I'm a kinder, gentler person. Um, and really what it did was kind of chilled out my, um, um, you know, medication's a weird thing, it you is. know, cause you can't predict when you're going to be super distracted. Uh, some of the things for me, and I think that being an entrepreneur or someone that was able to have the ability to be in control of my own schedule, helped me deal with ADD. If I had to do true nine to five, that could be a challenge because well, Matt, when you first started getting to know me, I was like oftentimes up all night. Oh, yeah. Uh, Talking to people in Cebu. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I've cur curbed that down a little bit. But I've learned that for me, if I'm truly inspired and interested in doing something, 
um, to ride that wave. And I don't get off that horse or the wave or whatever until it's, it's not there or it won't go anymore. And, and fortunately my wife's very understanding and I'm able to tell her, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm rolling with something right now. She'd be very cool. Put the kids to bed or something like that. That's very indicative of, I read this book called the ADHD advantage with you have any listeners who have ADHD, I strongly recommend reading that book. It's a little repetitive at times, but it's a very powerful book. And, um, yeah. So with ADHD, you know, what's really indicative of it is, you know, the things that I'm bad at, I'm extremely bad at. Oh, like, me too. Yeah. Uh, time management, forget it. You know, cleaning up my room, it's never been clean a day in, in my life. Making my, I've never made a bed in my entire life. Uh, I don't cook for myself very well. But the things that I'm good at, I'm, I'm equally really good at. I mean, I love starting projects. And I love finishing those projects. I'm able to look at multiple products at once. I'm able to have a foot in each in two companies at the same time are both extremely promising companies doing a lot of really exciting things. And I don't believe I could do that without ADHD because it allows me to be in two places at once, essentially, in my mind. I have a level of energy and a motor that's hard to match. Yeah, you and, do. And that, and, but uh, so yeah, whether it's ADD or anything else, I've always said that your strength and your weakness hold hands and walk down the street. So Absolutely. like, you know, some of the things too, it's like, well, it's accepting what you're good at and maybe not giving a shit about the stuff you're not good at. Um, that's been the thing with, so my wife who is a lot quieter than me, it's funny because in order, if you're an ADHD person, you need to find an introvert. <laughs> you do. Cause no one, cause no one else will put up with your shit. They, you know, they have you, to be a good listener. When you have ADHD, it's easier to find people who are more introverted than you are. So that's, I think that's really the key. That's actually a really good point as well. Um, for me, the ADHD, you know, I've never had a problem speaking nope. to people, uh, but the flip side of that is sometimes too much. Yeah. Um, and then like, sometimes the motor is like, I can go, go, go. And I think that one of the benefits that I bring to a situation or a company or whatever is I consider myself to be like a catalyst and Matt, you've seen that with some of the things we've like, I'll pay, hey, I talk, hey, we traveled around the world to open an office. And when we realize, okay, this office is going to only provide a part of what we need to be awesome. Well, we traveled, I traveled to the other side of the world yeah. and set up an office in Belarus yep. and that opens in, well, it's already done. We're moving into it and stuff like that. And, and, and where I'm going with this is I think that one of the qualities that comes with the ADD or the type A personality is aversion to risk. Uh -huh. And I think that's why you run into a lot of entrepreneurs that have ADD. It's like very common because you're just like, you know, you're not scared. You're not scared to take the risk. But that being said, with that, sometimes you take too many risks. You try to do too many things. I think it's a common thing. We were also talking about this on the way in from the airport is the common mistake that, well, Matt, you're talking about too many levers, yeah. doing too many things I at the same time. Things. And that's something I'm always finding myself reining it in. And you talk about the mentors and the people around you. And, you know, I'm going to actually admit this in the recording, but, you know, Matt, there's a lot of things you've said to me that, that stick. Uh, yeah, I admitted it. He's probably going to clip that and make it a loop and make you <laughs> listen to it. Matt, like, Take Matt. this with your ADD. <laughs> but no, talking about the things in your backpack. You know, and that was, and that's something that, you know, Craig 
here at Stackify says, isn't that where that came from? That's where it came from, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've taken that to heart because the more things you put in your backpack, the more shit you have to carry to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And if that's where you're trying to go, you're going to have to bring it all with you. And, you know, we were talking about the different things and products that Fullscale owns, operates, or whatever. And that's one of the things I've tried to rein in is like, okay, do we really want to do this? You know, do we really want to do this? And, you know, bringing getting excited about things we could participate in. I mean, the reality is, is we probably on some levels, Matt, have an unlimited amount of options for what we can invest in, participate in, be an advisor in. Got to know when to say no. Yeah. And it's tough. Yep. So, you know, and then I, I'm, not, it, I'm talking to two different people this week about becoming part of two other companies. So yeah, right. it's, I like it when Matt becomes part of companies because they oftentimes then become our clients. <laughs> so I'm trying to encourage Matt to, I'm trying to accentuate. I'm like, go ADD. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, um, you know, one of the things too is like, you know, we're talking also about the imbalance or the medication or whatever is I feel a lot happier with myself when I'm not doing 10 million different things. Um, gotta relax at some point. I do like doing a lot of different things. I think my biggest fear though, is having to do the exact same thing every uh -huh. day. I think, um, I think the key is doing things you enjoy doing. Like, right. like right now I've been spending a lot of time writing code and it's not necessarily something I enjoy doing anymore. I'd rather be doing other things. Uh, even though I like writing code and whatever, but it creates a certain amount of stress. So it's, it's just all about finding the things that you enjoy doing and doing those things. That's what I told so, my wife about our daughter because she gets frustrated, and you know, and want, the ADD allowed me to not finish that that what I was saying earlier. But you know, we look at our daughter, and you know, she is amazingly out. You know, Dylan, she's mm -hmm. really outgoing. She will just sit, she'll talk to you, but at the same time, if she's not interested, it's really hard to get her attention. So, you know, my, my approach has been, you know, we have to let her try a zillion different things. And I told my wife the other day, I said, look, I'm going to just, she's not going to be the best student in school. She's oh. going to get A's or D's yep, or maybe even F's. Were you the same way in I school? Was the exact like, same. I, I mean, I got I, an A or an F, like <laughs> either I loved it and just dug right in or I didn't care. And I got like a 12%. I took stats three times and failed it three times. And it's really funny because I never understood stats until I went and started a business. And now stats is a lot, is a large part of my, of my day looking at it. But now you're interested in it. And I find it very interesting. Yeah, I had now no, you're interested in it. I had no application to be interested yeah. in it when I was in school because I was learning it. It felt tedious. I feel the same way about geometry. <laughs> Why did we I learn that? The sign that you cannot see on the live stream right now is a circle. It is. <laughs> um, my four-year-old gets that part of it. Maybe my two-year-old gets that part of it. Well, but you mentioned, <laughs> you were talking earlier about writing code. People ask me all the time because of full scale or gigabook or the different things. They're like, oh, do you, are you a programmer? No. <laughs> They're like, well, why not? I, it never really interested me. And I don't have the patience. Like if I was a programmer, I would need a budget for smashed computers. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how they do it. Like I take my hat off to every developer that's even okay at what they do, because being able to figure out that where that missing character was on line 5,112, well, I would have gone through a couple computers on the way to that. I yeah, been... the compiler tells you that. That's easy. <laughs> that's an easy problem. I don't even know what that is. That's why you guys make such great partners because you complement each other so well in your skill sets. That's but extremely I, important. I think that's another important thing too is, is if there were two – okay, 
I've thought about this. This is a weird thing to think about. I've thought about this. If I could clone myself, would that be like my greatest ally or would I just be at war with myself right away? And I think I would probably be at war. I don't know if I could put up with it. How do you guys deal with that? I think that, think about that, like having a spouse, <laughs> right? Like you and your spouse, like you said, you need somebody that's introverted, right? right. You, you, you couldn't be two of your, you couldn't be married to yourself. Either. No, well, like, my you, first, you, my first wife was, uh, uh, a high type D she was very driven as well. And Oh my God, we would just like, you want to talk about budding heads yeah. and you get, then, you know, people with that personality style, which is also mine, we can be stubborn, especially yeah. if we're pissed and whatever it takes. But, it takes the different personalities to work together. But I think that's, that's good as well. Cause like, well, and we'll just use the analogy of full scale. So, uh, because we're not egotistical at all, sometimes Watson, I, I'll refer to us as Pippin and Jordan. But who's, who's Jordan? The, I will, it depends <laughs> on what day it is. But, you know, the, the thing is, is about having understanding that, well, A, you're not going to do it all by yourself or that's really difficult to do. And B, who gives a shit of who scores the goal? Like, get it done. Score Assume the, the role that you have, that you have. Stick with what you're good at. Like, I mean, realistically, a lot of the stuff that I do for full skill, it's not really your favorite stuff to do, is it? No. And I have no idea how to do all of the stuff that you do, which is along the lines of the technical stuff. I just get frustrated. I'm like, God, what's a server? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not that. They bad. have those in restaurants, I'm pretty sure. Servers, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Are the, and is that how you scale them up? Yeah. We go to the uh, restaurant and we buy PHP servers. <laughs> Delicious. Well, I, you know, I think, I think going back to it and, and, you know, I think it's just a little bit of understanding yourself. It took me, it really did take me a long time. I, I was the same way. Like they were telling me when I was a kid, they were like, that he's either going to be a trash man or he is going to start something big. And they would always say, they're like, but he's probably going to be a salesperson. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it now comes full circle here because uh, I talked, we talked about mentorship earlier. Uh, I didn't figure it out. I mean, I had a company that was, successful but it wasn't until i met a person named katie donovan that i started figuring it out and you know katie showed me my blind spots and taught me how to be a better person and a better employee of, of the companies we started together and just you know happier person and that's when i figured out that i was on the wrong medication i was doing a lot of things that i thought were good but were really bad really bad and you know punishing myself for them and uh that is it because she'll just tell you She's extremely honest. That's a yeah. that's a very powerful. I thing. love that I, I, about powerful. her and in general. Like, just tell me. I like what's people up. that are straightforward. Yeah, and just tell me honest. what's up. There's Let's no line in her. Yeah. There, it's she's completely straightforward. She's very open and honest, and she's actually taught me so many lessons. I and I I want to say one more that she's. I heard this quote a while ago, and she's taught me what that actually means. And I don't think she even knows she's taught me what that means. If you want to be a good leader, you need to learn how to be a good follower first, and. That has really stuck with me, and she's shown me how that works. And, right. Yeah. Well, man, that just was remarkably profound, and that's probably where we should wrap things up. All right. All right. So it's been uh, fun. But yeah, you know, on the side note, um, thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening. You know, thanks for coming down here and visiting. Um, we appreciate everything that you are doing that you've done we appreciate your interest and support not only in the podcast we i appreciate you being for being one of the nine people that read my book 
it's a good book. And if you are a budding entrepreneur trying to become a budding entrepreneur, it's a very, very good book with some very valuable lessons. And I'm not being paid to say that. No, I, I do appreciate <laughs> that. I mean, that's kind of why I wrote it. And it's it's not, you know, Million Dollar Bedroom. You can check it out. I, I've actually lowered the price on it. You can get it on Kindle for $2.99. I've given up on a making money on selling books. And with that, I will have a new book announcement <laughs> in 10 days. Uh-oh. Cool one. It's different. It's back, different. Back to Million Dollar Bedroom for one second. You know, what you don't realize is you don't have to know your your mentors either. I and mean, you've probably mentored more people than you'll ever know from that I, book. You know what? Actually, that's been one of the most rewarding things about that book is I get really weird messages and uh well can i share one because it's like really short and i it's funny i'm so bad at instagram that i didn't even realize i had a direct message and i probably won't even be able to bring it <laughs> back up but but you know the message itself was here we are um hi matt merry christmas and thanks for following me on instagram my fiance and myself recently parted ways with a friend who was renting our spare bedroom we both decided that we wanted to use the extra space to build a business this goal led me to randomly finding your podcast and soon after buying your book talk about a perfect chain of events anyways i'm reaching out to let you know i already finished the book and i'm on episode seven of startup hustle thank you for helping me to build the great base of knowledge while we plan and execute and like, that's like a two for one, but I think it's really cool when you get those messages. And for those of you listening to that, we'll give a 29 shout out. We've got, we've got our guy with the chicken hustle. We have a friend in Russia, but I want a message from you. The guy, you know, I want to hear from you again. <laughs> he was learning how to speak English from the podcast. And it's, he can even, he can even send us a message in Russian because we have a translator on. We staff. do. We do. In we Russian. Do. Yeah, we wow. have a translator. Well, for our office in Belarus. Yeah. Awesome. We wanted to make sure because, you, you well, we, as we were talking earlier um, about full scale, that communication is important. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it's just we want to make sure that people are there and communicating. So, you know, for those of you that think that someone that wrote a book or did a podcast or did something uh, doesn't notice those messages, we do. I always think they're pretty cool. Um, I'm not, you know, you can also just direct those all to Matt Watson as well. Nobody cares about me. It's all about you. Do you never get, you, you don't, do you not get those messages? Why they always reach out to me. It's all about you. What's, I mean, what's up with that? You're Jordan. I'm just Pippin. Hey, you know what? They both have a handful of rings and they're in the Hall of Fame. You know who else has a handful of rings? Uh, you know, oh, (laughs) dude, I'm not ending on that. to be one more. I'm not ending on, God. Say whatever you want. All right. When we turn this mic off, we're going to. We're going to talk a lot of shit about Tom Brady. You know what? And Tom Brady, if you're listening, you can suck it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.